You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hi, this is Vaughn. Welcome to A Wall Daily. I am here with Paul Copeland. We are going to be discussing this crazy stuff that's been going on in Houston regarding this botched drug raid about two weeks ago. Hey, Paul. Hi, Vaughn. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Now, when this first came out, when this first happened, did you did you see any news articles about it two weeks ago? Uh, I did not see any mainstream media reports on this, no. But I did happen to see a lot of the uh, liberty movement space talking about it in places like the Free Thought Project and other groups like that. Okay. Well, I remember seeing it at first, and the first thing I saw was four officers shot, one injured, and drug raid. And how do you think the media portrayed that to start with? Well, I mean, obviously it was a heroic group of officers shot by, you know, drug kingpins in the heart of Houston. Yeah. you know, there, there's very rarely a circumstance where it's ever a critical eye being pointed towards the police in the, these sort of cases. I know. So on January, we're going to go through a quick timeline of what happened and what was reported. So on January 28th and 29th, there were reports, the news started reporting on a, a drug bust where four officers were shot and one was injured, somehow injured his knee. The officers were portrayed as brave, hardworking, honest officers putting their lives on the line to protect the community. And let me just give you a quote from the union president of the Houston Police Department. His name is Gamaldi. He says, we are sick and tired of having targets on our backs. We are sick and tired of having dirt bags trying to take our lives when all we're trying to do is protect this community and protect our families. He then continued to say, if you're the ones that are out there spreading the rhetoric that police officers are the enemy, just know that we've all got your number now and we're going to be keeping track of y'all and we're going to be making sure that you, we hold you accountable every time you stir the pot on our police officers. We've had enough, folks. We're out there doing our jobs every day, putting our lives on the line for our families. So this statement came out shortly after the story broke. That, I think, is what free, uh, the news sources you mentioned first picked up on was this statement by Mr. Gamaldi. Yeah, uh, and I, I take exception immediately to the tone of, you know, don't question us, don't question our motivations, and how dare you be critical of the police. Yep. And that is certainly the thing that very immediately sparked the interest amongst groups like the Free Thought Project, who, you know, love them or hate them, they do take exception to this lionization of the police and uh, the they-do-no-wrong mentality that surrounds them very often. Yep, and I mean, this quote from Mr. Gamaldi sounds like a threat. We've got your number now. We're going to be keeping track of y'all, and we're going to hold you accountable every time you stir the pot on our police officers. What does that sound like to you? Does that just sound like a friendly banter? 
No, that that's very that at its core is there to intimidate people who are critical of the police and who want to hold them to a higher standard. It's like if you try to hold us to these standards, we're going to make life difficult for you. We're going to keep track of you. And it's funny because I don't think if he hadn't said what he said the way he said it, I don't know that as much scrutiny would have been focused on this case right away. Because the timeline that the police reveal uh, released shortly after the event occurred seemed to make sense. It says they said that a woman called in a complaint about her daughter doing heroin at the house about two weeks previous. The police sent an informant over to the house to buy some drugs. He bought some black tar heroin, says he saw lots of bags full of drugs throughout the house, and he specifies that he saw a 9mm semi-automatic handgun. Now that's very important, and we'll talk about, we'll see why that fact that that 9mm thing, that's an extremely important thing as we go through this. So they busted down the door. When they busted down the door, and this is what the police say happened, a large pit bull charged the officers and he was shot with a shotgun. Dennis Tuttle, the homeowner, then shot the officer who shot his dog. That officer fell on a couch. Rogina Nicholas tried to grab the injured officer's shotgun and was immediately killed by other officers. A shootout then commenced between Tuttle and the rest of the officers. At the end of the day, four officers were injured by gunfire, one injured his knee, and both Dennis Tuttle and Rogina Nicholas were dead. Now, that sounds pretty legit on the face of it. Yeah, I mean, police executing a search warrant, going into a house of a suspected drug dealer, and are met with armed resistance, that sounds like you know something that would happen in a drug enforcement situation yeah now the police chief when he was asked why they did a no-knock raid he said well drug dealers usually have better security systems than banks or something like that and so we have to use no-knock so they don't they aren't prepared and aren't ready for us when we come in there now interestingly he said that, but Mr. Tuttle didn't have a security system at all. So why would he mention the security system to justify no-knock raid if Mr. Tuttle didn't even have one? Well, I, I don't know. Uh... It, doesn't it seem like he's implying that Mr. Tuttle had a security system and that's why they had to do a no-knock raid? I, it either implies that or it's a deliberate misdirection. Yeah, that's how I read it. So pretty quickly, some doubts started being raised. On January 29th, we have um, an article in KHOU11 about how the neighbors of the top, Mr. Tuttle were really confused as to what was going on because the police were saying that, oh, this was a known drug house. People were coming in day in and day out. However, neighbors of the couple whose house was raided expressed a lot of doubt over the way in which the couple was being portrayed in the media and the story that was being told. The neighbors said, well, they never had any company over. It was just them. There was never cars going in and out. Nobody ever went over there. Whereas the police claimed that people were going in and out all days of the night. 
they also, the neighbors also said, oh, they were a very easygoing couple. They didn't bother anybody. And as I said before, there were no security cameras or fences, which kind of contradicts the implication that the police chief made that they had a security system, which is why they had to do a no-knock raid. So we start getting some talk back at that point. The neighbor's just saying, this doesn't make sense because they're, they're not the type of people that'd be a drug house. We don't think that's a drug house. So why did the police say it was? And then on the 31st of January, the police review, they released their search warrant to the public. And this is where we get a little bit. They say they got the tip two weeks before. They used an informant to make the drug buy. And then they claim to have found marijuana and an unknown white powdery substance at the scene. On this same day, the police chief does condemn the words of the union president, which I find kind of funny. He, even the police chief realized Gamaldi, or Gamardi, I forgot his name. Oh, Gamaldi, even he realized Gamaldi stepped way over the line and he wanted to back off because it was getting too much heat over that. Specifically, the chief said that anti-cop rhetoric had absolutely nothing to do with the officers being injured and that many officers on the force were upset by Gamaldi's comments. So, so far, we're just starting to get a few niggling doubts, but nothing real concrete. Yeah. So, after uh, the warrant was released, what eventually came out well after about a week of no new news so we're talking the warrant was released on the 31st well around february 8th things started heating up again because now the police department released the results of the search and they listed the things that were found in the house they found two shotguns two rifles 1.5 grams of an unknown white powdery substance and 18 grams of marijuana now, let me ask you, what things did they not find in there? Did you notice some things that were not found when they searched the premise? Well, I mean, they did find drugs, uh, yes. but they didn't find a huge amount of drugs. And yep. I don't know about you, but I don't think drug dealers regularly have going out of business sales or run out of stock because that's a great way to not stay in business. Yeah. And remember, the inform the buy supposedly happened the day before, and he claimed there was a ton of drugs, specifically black tar heroin, which is what he bought. There was no heroin of any kind, even black tar, found on the premise. Also notice what wasn't found. No 9mm semi-automatic handgun was found. Because let me ask you, is a 9mm, do you think someone could mistake a shotgun or a rifle for a nine millimeter handgun uh generally no i don't think that would be something that most people if you can tell the difference in what caliber a handgun is you probably have a good idea what a handgun is yeah i mean he said there's a nine millimeter handgun there and the only thing they found were rifles and shotguns and then This is also what happened. A veteran police officer was temporarily relieved of duty for something involving the search warrant on the same day, February 8th. They don't tell us what. In fact, the police department basically won't tell anybody anything. And the union president basically told everyone, well, that doesn't actually mean anything. We get suspended all the time and nothing comes of it because we're found out nothing did. We didn't do anything wrong. 
But sources to some news sources started telling the reporters that they, the investigation was leading to the conclusion that there was something seriously wrong with the search warrant, which the entire raid was based on. Now, what would happen if the search warrant was bad? What does that mean? Well, that would mean that the officer seeking the warrant uh, lied under oath to a judge. Well, it and, would, you would think it would invalidate the entire search, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, the search would be invalid. The uh, resulting charges, if the couple had lived through the encounter with the police, would have been thrown out by the courts. Yep. So uh, now, yep. And then recently we got some more news. On February 15th, we started learning a little bit more about the lead officer in the case. His name is Gerald Goins. He was not the officer relieved of duty on the 7th. That was actually a second officer. But this is the guy who made the warrant, signed the warrant. I'm, I'm, at the end, I want to read two different accounts of Officer Goins. One from the first day where the, the news reported on the original raid. And then one from this article that I'm referencing now. So we started finding out some things about this lead officer in his past that don't look so good. In 2008, he arrested a man named Otis Mallet for possession after an undercover buy. While two witnesses contradict what Goins claimed happened, they say they never saw Mallet touch or handle or move a can full of drugs, which is, how Mal which is what Goins claimed happened and why he was arrested this man for drugs. Uh, selling drugs. Another witness even claimed to have seen unknown individuals twice the day before near where this can of drugs was found. $200 of the police money was initially noted as lost, but then later labeled as being used to pay an informant. So the story started to change. And then the worst part was the defense was not told about these inconsistencies in this sit. So right now this case is going through the appeals court. Then also, he was reprimanded for leaving evidence, which was crack cocaine, in his truck for two months without tagging it in a different drug bust about six months before the mallet bust. He was reprimanded in 1987 for telling a person, we need to go to the gym and straighten this man to man. Now, what does that sound like to you? Oh, that sounds like uh, somebody's getting a rough time with a police officer. Yeah, especially if you find out that Officer Goins was a competitive power lifter. Now, if a competitive power lifter said, we need to go to the gym and straighten this out man to man, would you feel, would you feel that was threatening? I generally find most uh, situations involving a police officer pretty threatening, but yeah. I mean, when you got a guy who's obviously big, huge, and he says, we need to go to the gym and straighten these, this out man-to-man, -man, that's saying, let's go fight. So in 1992, Goings was shot after a controlled buy when he, after the buy, urinated on the side of an apartment building. When one of the residents noticed this, he accosted him for it, and Mr. Goings waved Pedro off and made a gesture indicating he was armed. Pineda then got a gun and shot him. That was the... Uh, the uh, the resident. The grand yeah. jury declined to press charges against Pineda. Why do you think the grand jury declined to press charges? 
Well, I would imagine because he was taking an aggressive stance in that situation and uh, the resident felt unsafe Yeah, and chose to defend himself. And the resident was not aware that this was a police officer he was dealing with. Plus, the resident spoke Spanish. Goins did not speak Spanish, so there was a language barrier there as well. But does that sound like a heroic cop got shot in the line of duty type of story? No, it sounds like uh, somebody who was urinating in public, which is normally a sex crime and lands you on a sex offender registry, uh, was confronted by a resident of the building he was peeing on. Yep. And his other shooting occurrence, this one, it's hard to see this one could go either way. While undercover, he was cut off by a man by the name of Reginald Dorsey on the freeway. Words and hand signs were exchanged. After seeing a gun, Officer Goins called for backup and continued to chase the other vehicle. Dorsey, the other vehicle, the man in the other vehicle, leaned out and began shooting at Goins, at which time Goins returned fire, killing Dorsey. That one, I could see that one being as legit. It's hard to say because we weren't there and we don't know all the details. But here's an interesting fact is that neither of those shootings were in Officer Goins' personal file even though he was on duty as an undercover officer during both occurrences. And if you ask me, the second occurrence sounds a lot like somebody being involved in a road rage incident with his status as an officer being completely irrelevant to the situation. Well, yeah, I kind of agree there. But, I, you know, but like I said, and so that one's suspicious as well. And he just got a whole history. He, um, after a relative of his said she was sexually assaulted, he went to the man's workplace and got into a physical confrontation with the man, which is not the way that he should have handled that if he wanted to take care of it the proper legal way. I don't know. That's of all the things on in this timeline. That's probably the one that I have the least problem with. Oh, I, I agree with the mentality and the emotion behind it. But this is supposedly a, a trained police officer. I mean, what he just did probably made the case harder to prove against the guy, if anything. It's going to hurt the legal case. It shows a lack of, um, what's the Professionalism. Word? Yes, professionalism and just awareness of what his actions are going to do. And he also, he just took place in a lot of raids. So police chief, and then, so this is the last thing I have on our timeline. Police chief Art Acevedo has now admitted that the lead officer, Goins, lied about the buy in the warrant. The informant that was first identified as the buyer denied ever having bought heroin at the house in question and also admitted that he was sometimes paid by Officer Goins for work that he never actually did. That's pretty damning right there, isn't it? Yeah. So... I need you to say that you did this for me. Pretty much. And he even paid him for it. Said, here's 200 bucks for this buy that you did, that you didn't actually do. So then they went back to the Goins, who cannot speak right now because he was shot in the throat in the raid. And he wrote down another name of a different informant that he used. So they went to that informant. The second informant said, well, I did do a buy on that day, but it was in this other place that's five miles away from the house in question. 
And thirdly, we find out that two bags of heroin were found in Goins' city vehicle. What does that sound like to you? It, at the absolute best, it sounds like a cop that is negligent in his duty and doesn't fill out his paperwork or log his evidence correctly. Yep. At the absolute worst, it sounds like a cop that is corrupt to his core. Yeah. And what's interesting, you said about him being negligent. Well, a quote from one of his co-workers who used to work as an officer is now retired said he was a good narcotics officer. He's not corrupt, but he's lazy with his paperwork. He has a history of not doing his reports until afterwards. Now, maybe he's just lazy, but also maybe he's just waiting to figure out what facts he needs to fill in to make it work. So now we see the warrant used to validate the no-knock raid of the Tuttle's house was based on a lie. No drug buy was ever done at the house as far as we can tell. It seems that the lead officer made up the drug buy in order to justify the raid. This explains why the items seen by the informant are so different than what was found in the house. Now in the most recent press briefing with the chief, what crimes did he, do you think he said that this lead officer committed? I am... I don't know. <laughs> Basically just lying on the affidavit. And mm -hmm. the chief actually used to quote, he, he says, I'm constantly telling my people, if you lie, you die. And the idea is if you lie on your paperwork, you're not, we're not going to support you. But I would think that he should be charged with a lot more than just lying on an affidavit, don't you? Well, lying on an affidavit, you know, if... <sighs> Lying on the affidavit basically, to me, would invalidate any charges that you have brought against that person. Yeah. And if it can be proven in any number of his cases, that calls into question every conviction that he has ever filed paperwork on. Yep. But also, I want to know, if I lied about something like that, and it were to lead to the death of a person, am I not responsible for the death of that person? Right. Uh, so, yeah, you're absolutely at fault for... Uh, for the uh, results in that case. Yeah, I... I wish, you know, I'm hoping, we'll see what happens. I doubt it's going to happen, but I would like to see this officer charged for the deaths of these two people who died as a result of him lying on an affidavit to get an arrest warrant, a no-knock warrant, which are very dangerous and very deadly because he's responsible for their deaths. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, it, it wouldn't be covered immediately in... Uh, Texas law. Uh, I'm not sure if they have a felony murder statute, but even if it, they do, the penalty for filing a false police report is only a Class B misdemeanor. So they yeah. wouldn't. It wouldn't fall under the felony murder doctrine. That's unfortunate. So one thing I wanted to to. So do you have any? So that's the narrative. That's what happened in this case. 
And so it started out sounding like just a normal drug raid gone bad. A couple of officers got injured being brave and doing the thing that they're supposed to do. But now it's just a totally different scenario now that we found out more information. So I think that teaches us a few things. Number one, we have to be careful about believing everything we see in the first article about an app, about something that happens. We need to wait for more information because the first story sure is a lot different than the last story, isn't it? Right. And I think if we look at this in the larger context of the entire war on drugs, how many people has this officer alone put away? That is a really good question. He's been in, I mean, the guy's been in the narcotics department at the Houston Police Department for, I believe, 30 some years. Right. And, you know, even if a fraction of the cases that he has been involved with are fraudulent, how many people has he been putting away falsely? And if we look at the country as a whole, how many other officers, I mean, let's say he's just one in a department of a few hundred officers. One out of a few hundred officers can victimize thousands of citizens with false arrests and jump, like pumped up conviction numbers. Yep. So I just, do you have any closing thoughts before we close? I think we, I'm, I'm going to continue this idea. I want to talk about this idea of uh, why I think this type of stuff keeps happening in another wall daily. But do you have any closing thoughts about what we've talked about today? Uh, no, I, not anything uh, super expansive, but I do hope that this case continues to develop and that justice is served in this case because not only did this, if it indeed all falls on this one officer, not only did he end up costing the lives of two citizens who took up arms in order to defend themselves from people they didn't expect to be police officers or didn't have any idea why they might be being raided. But he also put the lives of three of his other officers on the line for this. Well, actually more than just the three, there were about 15 or 20 officers involved in this raid. It's just three were in or three others were injured besides him. Right. And if I were this officer and this were coming out in this way, I would be looking for a new job or taking early retirement because there is no way as a police officer, I would want this guy. I, I wouldn't be answering any call for distress that he's putting out. I wouldn't, I'd be finding something else to do. There's a very important car that needs pulled over right now. I'm busy. <laughs> yep. Well, for my closing thought, I just want to compare between how this lead officer was described by the Houston Chronicle on January 31st, which is the first day we, which is when the story first started coming out, and then how he was described on February 15th in the same newspaper. The first 
article says the case agent, a father, competitive weightlifter, and youth football league referee was shot previously in the line of duty in 1992 and 1997. He has a passion for the job. He loves the city, said Doug Griffith, an HPOU vice president and former gang officer who had worked with the officer extensively. He's a workout fanatic. He's a huge guy. The officer was struck in the cheek in the 1992 incident following a narcotics raid. In 1997, he was shot while pursuing a man in a car chase through Bel Air, in which he shot and killed the other man. In 2002, while off duty, he shot a man who tried to rob him as he walked to his apartment with his young daughter, according to Chronicle Archives. So those, although it mentions all three of the shootings that he was involved in, even one that we haven't, we didn't talk about, and it made them all sound good. But now, in the February 15th article, it describes a completely different man. It says, the undercover case agent in the January 28th Pecan Park raid has been involved in multiple shootings, racked up a smattering of written reprimands, faced several lawsuits, and is currently accused of fabricating a drug deal than lying about it in court to win a conviction against a man who has long maintained he's innocent, according to a Houston Chronicle review of internal police records and court documents. Through it all, the longtime narcotics officer con consistently racked up glowing reviews and praise from his supervisors who called his work impressive and wrote that he set a good example for the new officers in the squad, according to police records. That's two completely different descriptions of two different people. And we already talked about two of those shooting incidents. The one where it says he was struck in the cheek in a 1992 incident following a narcotics raid. But as we saw earlier, he was urinating on the side of the building after the narcotics raid was completely over and threatened a man by pointing to his gun. Those sound like two completely different situations. And my point, the reason I want to bring this up is we need to be careful that we don't believe what we read. And you know what? In this case, this fits what, what we have seen come out fits the anti-police narrative that many of us libertarians have, doesn't it? Unfortunately so, yes. But I would also caution us that even though in this case it did live up to what many of us want to believe, we need to be careful that we also don't go to the opposite extreme and automatically believe the, the first accusations we hear against police officers when it turns out later that's not the case as well. So we need to be careful, no matter what we're doing, that we don't always believe the first thing we see, but wait and see what happens. Wait and see what news comes out, because a lot of times the story is going to change drastically over the years or over even just a few weeks like this one. In two weeks, it went from one story to a completely different story. Well, Paul, it was great talking to you. Um, so let's just say goodbye to our listeners. And we will see you all tomorrow. All right. See you then.